This is a podcast by the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. It's early in the month of December 2021, and investors are on tenterhooks following the emergence, just over a week ago, of a new coronavirus variant that the World Health Organization has dubbed Omicron. This new variant has already sparked a wave of travel restrictions around the world and triggered a big sell-off in global markets. Not surprisingly, pandemic recovery plays such as airlines, hospitality stocks, restaurant operators and beverage makers have been hit especially hard. On the other hand, beneficiaries of the pandemic, such as makers of rubber gloves and personal protection equipment, have rebounded strongly. More generally, the emergence of the Omicron variant has made investors more cautious and less willing to part with their cash. That's bad news for markets in general, of course, but it's also bad news for one prominent segment of the local market, namely real estate investment trusts, or REITs, which constantly need to raise cash in order to acquire assets and grow. In this podcast, I will survey the placements that Singapore-listed REITs have done in recent months, comparing and contrasting the discounts at which they sold the new units to investors, and what has happened to the market price of their units since then. I will delve into how a discounted placement affects unit holders of a REIT, and I'll offer my personal views on what REIT managers and investors ought to do going forward. The Straits Times Index marked its post-Omicron closing low on the 30th of November, which was a Tuesday. On that day, the benchmark index closed at 3,041.29. On the Thursday before that, that is the 24th of November, the SCI had closed at 3,227.15. So in the space of just four trading days, the SCI had fallen by 5.7%, hammered by all the fear and confusion related to Omicron. As it happened, Tuesday the 30th of November was also the day that Manulife US REIT had set out to raise 80 million US dollars through a placement of new units. Difficult as it was to persuade investors to participate in a placement on that particular day, Manulife US REIT managed to more than pull it off. After the market closed on the 30th of November, the manager of the REIT said that it had raised a total of 100 million US dollars, with the upsize option fully exercised. The REIT manager also said the placement was more than two times covered and that there had been strong participation from new and existing institutional investors and private wealth clients. So why were investors willing to hand over their money despite the worsening COVID-19 situation? Let me first say that Manulife US REIT was raising the money for a productive purpose. The REIT's manager had already said that the bulk of the placement proceeds will be put towards the acquisition of three properties in the United States, namely Diablo Technology Park and Park Place in Phoenix, Arizona, and the Tannisbond Commerce Center in Portland, Oregon. The three new assets, which are being purchased for $201.6 million, are expected to provide the REIT with exposure to commercial tenants in the technology and healthcare space. Manulife US REIT's manager also said that the three properties offer potential for positive rental reversion and are being purchased below valuation. In addition, the assets are expected to improve the REIT's portfolio-wide occupancy 
and weighted average lease to expiry. More importantly, the acquisition is expected to be immediately accretive to Manulife US REITs distribution per unit, or DPU. If the acquisition had been completed at the beginning of 2021, the REIT's first half 2021 pro forma DPU would have been lifted by 4.4%, from 2.7 US cents to 2.82 US cents. But the fact that Manulife US REIT was going to use the funds to expand its portfolio and improve its DPU is not the only reason investors wanted to participate in the placement. Another key reason investors stumped up the 100 million US dollars when Manulife US REIT came knocking was that the placement units were priced at a significant discount to their market price. Here are the numbers. Manulife US REIT sold nearly 154.1 million new units at 64.9 US cents each. That was the absolute bottom of the indicated price range when the placement was launched, and it was 8.9% below the REIT's volume-weighted average price on the day before the placement. The placement price of 64.9 US cents was also well below Manulife US REIT's net asset value of 71 US cents per share as at June 30. So put yourself in the shoes of the investors who are offered displacement of new units. If you subscribe for these discounted units and assuming the market price holds up, you would essentially be able to book an immediate gain by deploying your cash. On the other hand, if you were an existing unit holder, you would also have been inclined to participate in the placement to avoid being diluted by the low price. But is doing a placement at a discounted price necessarily a bad thing for investors? or the REIT market as a whole? Who are the victims here? I'm going to talk about that next. If you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the BT Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to my analysis and insights on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. Before going any further, I just want to make it clear that I'm not singling out Manulife US REIT for having done something wrong. In fact, Manulife US REIT is not alone in raising money by issuing new units at a discount to market price in order to expand its portfolio. At least 13 other REITs have done placements this year, all of which were priced at discounts to their volume-weighted average price the previous day. The discounts range from just over 2% to nearly 10.8%. Of these 13 placements, 8 were also priced at discounts to the book values of the respective REITs. So what exactly is the problem? From the perspective of investors, whether the dilutive impact of a placement is a concern really depends on the extent to which the acquisitions funded with the proceeds spur a re-rating in the market value of the REIT's units. Let me give you a couple of examples. Back in May of this year, ESR REIT announced a couple of acquisitions, including a 10% stake in a fund that owned a number of properties in Australia. It also said it would raise up to $100 million through a placement and up to $50 million through a preferential offering. The placement was done quite quickly and was priced at $0.37.2 cents per unit, which was an 8.9% discount to the volume-weighted average price the previous day. Coincidentally, the same discount as the Manulife US REIT placement. Right after that placement was done, however, ESR REIT's market price began climbing a sign that investors liked what was happening and saw value in ESR REIT's units. As a result, the preferential offering ended up being priced at $0.40, cents, which was more than the placement price. And ESR REIT has continued climbing since then. It's now trading at $0.47.5, cents, or about 27% above the placement price. So investors 
whether they got in through the placement or were existing unit holders, are likely to be quite happy with the outcome of the capital raising exercise, even though the placement was priced at a big discount to the market price at the time. But things don't always work out so well. Let me give you another example. In October, Capital Land China Trust said it would acquire a package of prime logistics properties in China for nearly 1.7 billion renminbi. The REIT also raised $150 million through a placement priced at $1.16.5. This was a 6.9% discount to its volume-weighted average price the previous day and a nearly 26% discount to its book value. Unlike ESR REIT, Capital Land China Trust hasn't rallied since its placement. In fact, the last time I looked, it was trading half a cent below the placement price. Unfortunately, the performance of locally listed REITs has generally waned since the onset of the pandemic. Since the beginning of 2020, the FTSE ST REIT index delivered a total return of minus 0.2%. The STI returned 1.5%. Now, obviously, REITs that own shopping malls, offices, and hotels, such as Capital Land Integrated Commercial Trust, Capital REIT, and Ascot Residence Trust, were beaten down during the early stage of the pandemic. But in recent months, even once-hot industrial property REITs have also begun to flatline and fall. These include REITs like Maple Tree Industrial Trust, Maple Tree Logistics Trust, and Keppel DC REIT. As a result of this general lack of investor appetite for REITs, the market hasn't reacted well to their recent placements. Of the 14 REITs that have done placements this year, six of them are currently trading below their placement prices which is significant considering that all the placements were done at discounts to the respective REIT's volume-weighted average price on the previous day. If you compare their current prices to their volume-weighted average price on the day before the placements, then only three of the 14 REITs are currently above water, namely Cromwell European REIT, ESR REIT, and Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust. To be fair, REIT managers cannot control the ebb and flow of investor enthusiasm, and their efforts to build a portfolio of promising properties may go unappreciated for long periods of time. But REIT managers can determine the terms on which assets are acquired and the terms on which funds are raised. And they ought to disclose the extent to which the potential upside from an acquisition is affected when the placement to fund the deal is priced at a discount. At the beginning of this podcast, I highlighted that the three properties Manulife US REIT is acquiring are expected to boost its DPU by 4.4%. This was a pro forma calculation that REITs often do when they acquire assets, but these calculations are based on certain assumptions. In the case of Manulife US REIT, the assumption behind the 4.4% improvement in its DPU was that it would raise 80 million US dollars through a placement of new units priced at 66.2 US cents each. But on the 30th of November, with the market under pressure, the placement was done at a lower price, 64.9 US cents, not 66.2 US cents. The REIT also raised 100 million US dollars rather than 80 million US dollars. So logically, the actual uplift in the REIT's Proforma DPU would be less than the initially projected 4.4%. To ensure investors have the full picture, REIT managers should, in my view, immediately update the proforma financial effects of their announced acquisitions following the outcome of placement exercises. So what are the lessons for investors from all of this? Firstly, 
It's important for investors to keep in mind that REITs are hardwired to expand their property portfolios. So when considering whether to invest in a REIT, it's important to factor in the likelihood of it raising funds through placements or preferential offerings and weigh the ease with which the market is likely to absorb all the new units. As the world recovers from the pandemic, my view is that the pace of acquisitions and fundraising by most REITs is almost certain to accelerate, and REITs belonging to corporate groups involved in restructurings or merger and acquisition deals, such as Capital Land Investment, Singapore Press Holdings, Keppel Corp, ARA Asset Management, and ESR Cayman, might be among the most aggressive. It's usually considered to be a good thing when a REIT has a parent capable of providing it with a pipeline of assets. But investors should keep in mind that a lot depends on whether the market has sufficient appetite for all the units that need to be issued in order to acquire those assets in the first place. By the same token, REITs that appear to be bargains might also be the ones most likely to dilute their value when they attempt to raise funds and make acquisitions. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. You can follow my Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. That was an SBH podcast by The Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.